We read the holy and inspired word of God tonight from Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Read the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 1. Text for the sermon is verses 9 through 11. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And in these next verses, verses 9 through 11, are the text for the sermon tonight. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. We read the word of God that far tonight. Beloved, in the Lord Jesus Christ, the passage that we consider tonight speaks of the importance of love in the church. The previous verses of the chapter, verses 3 through 8, the Apostle Paul expressed to the saints in Philippi the fact that he loved them, they were dear to him, he cared about them indicated that he was thankful to God for God's work in their midst. And he reminded them that he was praying regularly for them. Now here in the text, the apostle mentions specifically what it is that he's praying for on their behalf. And if we would sum up what the word of God teaches in the text, it's this. The apostle is saying, I'm praying that your love for one another would continue to grow and to abound. In mentioning what he prays for on their behalf, the apostle is continuing to show his care for them. He's also giving them a model for what they are to be praying for. If the apostle Paul is praying for love to abound among them, 
then certainly they also ought to be praying that as well. Their office bearers, as well as the members in the pew, ought all to be praying as well for love to abound in the church. This word of God serves as a model for our prayers as well. As the Apostle Paul prayed this on behalf of that church, so office bearers today ought to be praying the same for the church of Christ whom we serve. We ought to be praying regularly for the abounding of love in the church. But that's not to be the case only of office bearers. It's something that all the members of the church ought to be praying for that we might, as a congregation, continue to grow and love one for another. Is that a matter of your prayers to God? Undoubtedly, we pray often for our own needs. But in our prayers, do we also pray for the church? When we pray for the church of Christ, what is it that we're praying for? Perhaps we pray for the office bearers and for their needs. Perhaps we pray for the members of the congregation who are enduring various trials. And those are good petitions for us to make. But in our prayers for the church of Christ, do we also pray this regularly? God would grant us to abound more and more in love. Love is essential for the church. We may never adopt the attitude that love is something of some minor importance in the church. Perhaps we have that attitude because we look around us in the broader church world and our perception is that that's all they talk about. All they talk about is love and we become so disgusted with that that we fail to recognize the importance of love. Love is necessary in the church of Jesus Christ. Love is necessary here in this congregation. We all can examine ourselves in this respect in the week that is to come. God willing, next Sunday, We'll partake of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper together. And this week then is to be a week of careful self-examination. When we come to the Supper of the Lord Jesus Christ, we do so not only believing that we are one with Christ and partakers of Him and all of His blessings, which is at the, the heart of our celebration of the Lord's Supper, but we're declaring as well our unity and our love one for another in Jesus Christ. We may not come to the supper of the Lord Jesus Christ with a heart filled with hatred or bitterness or envy or anger towards our neighbor. We come to the supper of the Lord Jesus Christ in humble love for one another. May this word of God then in the week to come serve as a means whereby 
and we carefully examine ourselves in this important aspect of life in the church. Consider this word of God under the theme, praying for an abounding love. First of all, the petition, secondly, the purpose, and then thirdly, the power. The heart of this prayer that the apostle prays on their behalf comes out at the beginning of verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. That raises the question of what is love? To understand what love is, we have to begin with God. Because God is love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwell together in perfect love one for another in the one being of God. And the fact that God is love means that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit delight in one another, view one another as dear and precious. The fact that God is love means that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit delight in communion and fellowship one with another. This is the highest expression of communion. This is the pinnacle and perfection of friendship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the fact that God is love means that in a deep, mysterious, profound way, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit give themselves one to another within that one being of God. God is love. And the God who is love has set his love upon his chosen people in the Lord Jesus Christ. God's love for us, his people in Christ, means that he views us to be dear, and precious, and delightful to him. God's love for us means that he draws us to himself in close communion and fellowship so that we're with him, we're near him. God's love for us means that he gives on our behalf. And the highest expression and manifestation of that is the giving of his only begotten son to suffer and to die in order to save us from our sins, though you and I are wholly undeserving of that. God loves us. He gives his son for us. His love for us is an unconditional love. The love that we're called to show one to another is to be modeled after the pattern of God's love for us. For the child of God, love is not merely an emotion. There is an emotional element to our love, but love is not defined by our emotions because our emotions may come and they may go. Love is fundamentally a commitment of the redeemed mind and will. Love in the life of the child of God is a commitment of the redeemed mind and will to view another as dear and precious 
and delightful. Love in the life of a child of God is the commitment of the redeemed mind and will to seek to draw another into communion and fellowship with us. That one that we love, we want to be with them. We want to be near them. Love is not manifested in living far apart from another, wanting nothing to do with that one. But if we love that one, we want to be with that one. And love in the life of the child of God is the commitment of the redeemed mind and will to do good to that one. To do good and not evil. To do good even when that means sacrifice on our part. When we have to lay down our life and our wants for the sake of that other person. And love is the commitment to do that for one who perhaps is not worthy of that. One that we think is not deserving of that love. Yet love is the commitment to honor them, to delight in them, and to do good to them even at our own hurt and expense. The Word of God here does not specify the specific object of our love. It's possible then to understand the text as referring, first of all, to our love for God. Prayer that our love for God may abound. And our love for God is the response of God's love for us, who's first loved us. Our love for God means that we delight in God, that God is most dear and most precious to us, that there's none else who can compare to God in our heart, in our mind, in our life. Love for God means that we delight in fellowship with God. We delight to be near to God. Love for God means that we give of ourselves for the sake of God and His cause. This is not a giving to earn something with God. This is the giving of, of grateful love. But love shows itself in a willing sacrifice of ourselves for the sake of God's glory his cause and kingdom. Well, it's possible to understand the passage as referring to our love for God growing and abounding. It's evident from the, the context that what's being emphasized is our love for others in the church. As we'll come to see in just a moment, that was a problem in the church in Philippi. And so that's what indicates that that's what's on the foreground here, the love that they were called to show one for another. And our love for our fellow believers is the commitment of the redeemed mind and will to view the other members of the church of Jesus Christ as very dear and precious and delightful. It's our commitment to dwelling closely in fellowship with other believers. First and foremost, as we assemble together for worship, but then in the rest of our life and our relationships as well. Love for our fellow believers is our commitment to doing good to them, not evil. 
our commitment to giving of ourselves, laying down our life, sacrificing on their behalf, laying down my own wants, my own desires, my own opinions, my own insistence on the way I think things should go. Love is the laying down of my agenda, my time, my energy, my money even, a willingness to give of self sacrificially for the good of the other. Even when that other person we might judge to be wholly undeserving of that love. That other member of the church that we think more difficult to get along with, with a personality that maybe doesn't mesh well with ours, or another one whose sins we see very plainly and clearly. Love is the commitment to honor them, to view them highly, more highly than we do ourselves, and to do good to them, even when we think them least deserving of that. Prayer is that love might be evident in the church of Christ and between the members one for another. But to be more specific, this petition is a petition for growth and abounding in love. Verse 9, in this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. The Apostle Paul says something similar to the saints in Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12, we read this, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men. And then in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 and 10, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. The word for abound in our text is a word that means to go above and beyond a certain limit. It means to overflow, to be in excess. Really, the idea is to superabound. To understand the sense of that word here, think in terms of an illustration. You have a, a cup that you're going to fill up with water. You go to the kitchen sink to turn the tap on. And if you're going to make that cup abound with water, you're not just going to fill it up most of the way. And it doesn't mean that even you fill it up to the very brim so that you can't Put another drop in there. But to abound means that you turn that tap on as high as you can and you fill that cup up all the way to the brim and then you keep filling it up and pouring water in there so that the water superabounds. It overflows the measure of the cup. It is in excess. It's running down on all of the sides. This is our prayer to God. 
for life in the church. Not just that love is present, not just that we're filled up most of the way with love, not even that we're filled up to the top and you'd say there, there's not more room for love. The Word of God says, abound in love, superabound, go above and beyond measure, be in excess in love, fill it all the way to the top and then keep filling it up so that it pours down on every side of the church. If that isn't strong enough, the Word of God says, may abound yet more and more. Abound, be in excess, let it run down on every side, and then more and more. There's to be no end to love in the church. was necessary for the saints in Philippi to hear, not because there was no love there. There was love there. It's evident if you read this epistle that those saints loved the apostle Paul. This word comes to them not because there was no love present, but because there was yet room for growth. And that because in the church in Philippi, there were small Subtle divisions between the members. Philippians chapter 2 indicates that there was pride and there was selfishness that was evident in the lives of the members at times. Philippians 4 indicates a couple of women in the church who were at odds one with another. Things had not yet deteriorated into full-out division in the church, but there were subtle underlying problems there. Perhaps the attitude was this, that the Philippians thought, well, it's really easy to love the Apostle Paul. We don't have to see him and, and notice his weaknesses every day and every week. So it was easy to love the Apostle Paul at a distance. And they found it much harder to love their brother or their sister, whom they had to see week after week and day after day in their interactions with them to bump up against their difficult personality and to see their weaknesses and their shortcomings. I can love Paul at a distance, but it's a lot harder to love my brother or my sister with whom I go to church week after week. And the apostle says then, my prayer for you is that your love may abound yet more and more. There's love there. There's also room for continued growth. The prayer is the necessary petition on the part of the church of Jesus Christ in every place and at every time. Love is so important for the church. As mentioned earlier in the introduction, we might have the idea that because all we think we hear in the church world at large is love, 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 and a wrong view of love, that we shy away from emphasizing the importance of that. But how many times does the Word of God in the New Testament tell the church of Christ, love one another, this is my commandment. Love one another. Abound in love one for another. 
Love is no small, minor, insignificant thing. In the church of Jesus Christ, love is so important for the spiritual health of the church of Christ. And there's room in every church for love because there's room for growth in love in this member of the church. My sinful nature is such that I, by nature, am proud and selfish. And those two things are the complete opposite of love. Love is not proud and is not selfish. And I have a sinful nature that is proud and is selfish. And because there's room for growth in this member of the church for love for others, there's room always in the church of Jesus Christ for growth in love. Love may be present in the church, but let that love abound yet more and more. It's a good word of God for us to hear, particularly in the circumstances in which we find ourselves today. Again, this is the need of the church at all times, and this is our need. We live in the midst of a society and a culture that is so divisive. All kinds of things that divide men and women in this, this world. All kinds of ways in which there's evident animosity and, and hatred one for another. And the danger is that what we see in the world around us out there begins to bleed into the church of Christ and influences the way in which we act and the way in which we think. As churches, we've been through much in the last number of years with a doctrinal controversy and a painful, painful split. And there may be other issues that the Church of Jesus Christ is facing that have the potential to, to tear the Church of Christ apart. important is love. How important that we view our brothers and our sisters in the church as dear and precious and delightful. That we're committed to doing good to them, to giving of ourselves, even when we think them to be least deserving of that. Is this true of us? Is this true of you? And is this true of me? Does love characterize our dealings with the other members of the church? Is that how we view others? Truly in our hearts to look at another in the church and esteem them more highly than we do ourselves? Are we committed to doing good to another? Not just refraining from hurting them and doing evil, but committed to doing good to another. Committed to laying down ourselves, our desires, our agenda, our time and our energy for the sake of the other members of the Church of Christ. Each one of us can and ought to examine ourselves in that respect the week that is to come. 
examining our hearts to see our pride and our selfishness. See if there's any attitude of hatred or bitterness or sinful anger towards our brothers and sisters in the church of Jesus Christ and by the grace of God to repent of them, to lay all of those things aside so that we come to the table of the Lord grieving over our sins and with a heart of grateful love for our brothers and sisters in the church. This is in a petition that we can pray in the week to come. This is a petition that we pray all of our lives. God grant that we may abound yet more and more in love. With that, our petition includes a prayer for other spiritual virtues that tie in with that love. That's the last part of verse 9 and the first part of verse 10. This I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment that ye may approve things that are excellent. The passage speaks of knowledge. Knowledge is basically intellectual apprehension. Now, the knowledge that the Word of God speaks of here is more than that, but it's never less than that. This is a spiritual apprehension. This is the knowledge of love, of intimacy. It's the knowledge of the child of God that is the knowledge of faith, whereby we know and believe what God has revealed to us in His Word about himself, about salvation and the Lord Jesus Christ, about ourselves and our own sinfulness, and about what God has taught us in his word regarding others in the church of Christ. And then closely connected with that is the idea of judgment. And that word for judgment means discretion, wisdom, the ability to discern between what's right and good and what's wrong and sinful. Discretion is closely related to knowledge but goes beyond knowledge. It's a taking of that knowledge and making practical application of that. It's that knowledge that we have of the Word of God put into practice in our day-to-day life. And that's evident from what follows in the first part of verse 10 and is connected to those ideas of knowledge and discretion. That ye may approve things that are excellent. Things that are excellent, that word conveys not only things that are right and holy over against things that are sinful and wicked, but the word also speaks of those things that are important over against things that are unimportant. They might not be sinful things, but they're not matters of first priority and significance. Endowed by God with knowledge and discretion, we approve the things that are excellent, the things that are good and holy, important and essential, over against what's sinful and insignificant. Those virtues of knowledge and discretion 
are closely related to this love for which we pray. Love and knowledge go together. Knowledge without love is useless and empty. In 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1, the Word of God says, Knowledge puffeth up, but charity, love, edifieth. And 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2 says, And though I have all knowledge and have not charity, I am nothing. Knowledge and love go together. As we grow in our knowledge of what God has revealed to us in his word about him and about our Savior Jesus Christ, our love for God grows more and more. And as our knowledge of what God says in his word about myself and my own sins and when the word of God teaches me about the church of Christ and the other members whom he's redeemed in the blood of Jesus Christ, my love for them grows more and more. As our knowledge of God and what his word describes of how he saved his people, our love increases more and more. There's also a close relationship between love and discretion. Love is not careless. There is an exuberance that ought to be there with love, but one that's guided by discretion, by wisdom. Because we can be so exuberant in our love, but be misguided and without discretion that we end up doing more hurt than what we had initially attempted with with our act of love. Discretion helps us understand that this particular fellow saint is struggling with some sin perhaps and what's needed in that respect is a demonstration of love, is a, a careful admonition and correction. And discretion helps us understand that this other child of God is struggling under some grievous burden in their life and what they need is not to be rebuked, but they need comfort and and sympathy and encouragement. Love is guided by discretion so that we understand what the needs of God's people is and we act in an appropriate way to do good to them. So that we, in love, are actually caring for and tending appropriately to their particular needs. Discretion also helps guide us in our life in the church so that we are able to discern things of first importance, gospel importance, over against things that are of much lesser importance, things that are a matter of Christian liberty about which children of God may rightly disagree and have differences of opinion, And love understands with discretion the difference between those things so that when it's a matter of first gospel importance, we respond in this appropriate way. And when it's a matter of insignificance or a matter about which children of God may have differences of opinion, I will not insist upon my own way. But in love, 
treat respectfully that brother or that sister who has a different view of it than I do. Love will be willing to acquiesce when it doesn't go my way. And do not disrupt the unity and the peace of the church of Jesus Christ by insisting on my own opinion and my own way. Love is characterized by knowledge. Love is guided by discretion. How urgent that we pray for these things. God would grant us to abound more and more in love with knowledge. God grant our knowledge to grow so that our love grows. And God grant us wisdom and discretion so that we love our brother and our sister in the church, in a way that truly serves their good. The Word of God indicates here what is God's purpose in that, His purpose in the church being characterized by love, by knowledge, by discretion. The text indicates two things, actually. Two related things. First of all, the purpose of God in our abounding in love is indicated in the second half of verse 10. That ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. That word sincere literally means to be pure or unmixed. And elsewhere, as it's used in the New Testament, is often used in reference to purity of motives. That there's not a mixing of pure and evil motives as we live before the face of God. One who is sincere is a person whose life is transparent. Their life is a life that's characterized by honesty. There's not a question that surrounds them whether... They're really acting out of genuine motives of, of love and concern, or if their motives are really just selfish and self-seeking. The Christian life is to be a sincere life, a transparent life, so that we live out of sincere and pure motives of love for God and love for the neighbor. The text also mentions that the Christian life is to be without offense. The word there literally refers to a stumbling, without stumbling. And it can have reference to our own life, personally, that we're without offense, meaning we don't stumble ourselves into sin, contrary to the word of God. But the word also can convey that we are not the occasion for another child of God to stumble. That by our own actions and our own sins, that we become a stumbling block for someone else. And our calling is to be sincere, pure in motives, and without offense, blameless, till the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that day, of course, is the day of his return. That day is his day. That day belongs to the Lord Jesus 
Christ. It is His day because it's in that day that His glory and His authority as King of kings and Lord of lords is demonstrated for every eye to see. Until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he appears in his glory, we are called to be sincere and without offense. We're to live always with a view to the day of the coming of Jesus Christ. We are to live the life of the future age. Already now in this present age, we who have our citizenship in heaven, whose hope is in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, are to live that out now already in this present wicked age. That's the purpose of God in our abounding in love. Why is it that we are to abound in love more and more, one for another? Because abounding in love one for another, we will live the sincere Christian life. If our hearts overflow with love for God and love for the neighbor, then there's no question about our motives. Our motives then are what they ought to be. They're pure. They're sincere. We live the honest, sincere, transparent Christian life because what drives us always is that love for God and the neighbor. Purpose of God in our abounding is in love is that we live without offense. If in our hearts we overflow in love for God, we ourselves will not stumble in the way of sin and continue in that way. If our hearts overflow in love for the brother or sister in the church of Jesus Christ, then we will not in any way become a stumbling block for them to fall into sin. Word of God indicates here what is the driving motivation of the child of God in living the sincere, blameless Christian life. It's love. Love for the God who's first loved us and in his love for us gave his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to suffer and to die for us. And it's that love of God that then overflows in love for the neighbor. And this is what characterizes then the whole of our life. This is why we live sincere and without offense. Because we abound more and more in love. Urgent then that we pray that God would make us to abound more and more in love. That we then live as we're called to live in this world. Pure and sincere, blameless and without offense, till the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the purpose, according to the text, as that relates to our life, our Christian walk in the midst of this world. But the text indicates what is the higher and the ultimate purpose. What is the ultimate purpose even in our living that sincere and blameless Christian life 
which is the glory of God. And that's indicated at the end of verse 11, unto the glory and praise of God. God's glory refers to the radiating beauty and weight of all of his perfections, his attributes. God is a God of love. God is a God of mercy and grace, of power, a God who knows all, a God who is without limit, a God eternal and infinite. Each one of those individual perfections and attributes has a, a weightiness, a gravity to them, and a beauty that shines forth. And God's glory is the radiating beauty and the weightiness of all of his divine attributes. And closely related to God's glory is his praise. And praise refers to our acknowledgement of and adoration of God as his glory is revealed, as that radiating beauty of God is manifest, the only appropriate response is praise, is the acknowledgement of God's greatness and the adoration of the God of glory. Ultimate purpose of God in this, as in all other things, is His glory and praise. The purpose of God in our abounding in love that we may then live, sincere and without offense, is His Glory and praise. God's radiating beauty is revealed in us, in his saving of us. God's power and his wisdom, his grace and his love are on display as he takes sinners who by nature are proud and selfish and makes them humble and giving. God's glory, the revelation of his power, his wisdom, his love, his mercy is on display as he takes this sinner dead in himself. Gives them life when he takes this sinner who's bent on the way of, of sin, impurity, stumbling into the way of folly, and he takes us, transforms us so that we live a sincere blameless Christian life. We are God's handiwork. And his saving of us and his work within us reveals his glory and therefore indicates the worthiness of God for praise. As God's work of grace is evident in our lives, as he causes us to abound more and more in love one for another, and that leading us then to live sincere and, and blameless, we ourselves are brought to praise God as we stand in awe of what he's done in our lives. We give occasion also, not for others to blaspheme, but we give occasion then by the way in which we live for others to lift up adoration and praise to the God of glory. 
This is what's ultimately in view in all of our life. This is God's purpose in creating us. This is His purpose in saving us. And this is what we have in view as well as we pray this petition. God, cause us to abound more and more in love one for another that we may live sincere and blameless in the Christian life till the day of Jesus Christ. The glory and the praise of Thee, our God. Pray that and we live that in dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Text speaks of that in the first part of verse 11 being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. Some difference of opinion among commentators whether that phrase fruits of righteousness refers to the fruits that flow out of our imputed righteousness in Jesus Christ, or whether it refers to the fruits that are actual righteousness, a life lived in obedience to God. Well, there may be differences of opinion about exactly what that's referring to in the end. It really doesn't matter because they amount to the same thing. We took note of this morning, we are righteous in the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are justified. Philippians 3 verse 9 speaks beautifully of that. And be found in him, in Christ, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. We are righteous before God in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. A righteousness that we receive and apply to ourselves not by our working, but only by faith in Jesus Christ. And that righteousness imputed to us is the foundation of the further blessings of salvation, including our sanctification. We're justified. We're righteous. Legally, sin has no right any longer to be our master, to rule over us, to to hold us in its bondage. Having been justified, it's necessary then that we be sanctified, that we be actually freed from the filth and the power of sin. And the fruit of that is a life of Good works. The faith by which we are justified will then show itself in the fruits of faith, which is a life of obedience to God. And for that, we are wholly dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ and His Spirit. Notice the text says, We are filled with the fruits of righteousness. And that these fruits of righteousness are by Jesus Christ. Christ has merited these fruits for us. And Christ by His Spirit is the one who works in and through us so that these fruits become evident. 
As we know from Galatians chapter 5, the first of the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace in all of the rest. We are wholly dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ making our petition and in living this life that God calls us to live. The Lord Jesus Christ left us the perfect model and example of abounding in love. So great was his love for his own. So did he abound and overflow in love for us. That he came into this world of sin, took upon himself a real human nature and became a, a man amongst men. He suffered the reproach and the shame and the hatred of men. Finally, he offered his precious body and blood to the death of the cross, enduring the wrath of God to pay for our sins. There's no love like this love. So great is the love of Jesus Christ, so high its heights and so deep its depths that he gave himself for us. But not only is that love of Jesus Christ a model for us to follow, if Christ loved us so, so ought we then to love our loving the brethren is only possible in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel. And the Lord Jesus Christ, in his love for us in his cross, has found alone forgiveness for our pride, for our selfishness, for our failure to love the neighbor in our homes and families, or in the church of Jesus Christ as we ought. And in faith, then, we fly to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, and our petitions that we make here is for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ and His blood shed, forgive me of all of my failures to love. And the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ is alone the power by which we are strengthened and enabled to love the neighbor as ourselves. Knowing the love of Jesus Christ for this sinner who's wholly undeserving of that. I am strengthened and empowered by the grace and the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, then to love my brother and my sister and the church of Jesus Christ and even to abound and to overflow in love. This is our prayer for one another in the church. This is the prayer of office bearers regularly for the church. This is our prayer 
God on our own behalf. God, forgive us of all of our failures to love. God, grant us by the power of the cross of Jesus Christ to abound yet more and more in love. Amen. Let us pray. Father who art in heaven, pray for the application of thy word to our hearts and our lives tonight. Grant us rightly to examine ourselves in the light of thy word in the week that is to come. Receive us next Sunday at the table of the Lord Jesus Christ, not as we come in ourselves, only for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, his love for us, and his blood which covers all of our sins and teach us more and more to love one another in the church as thou hast loved us. Give us the grace of humility. Give us to be selfless. Deliver us from every way of pride and of selfishness. Upon us in thy mercy, graciously forgive us of our failures. For Jesus' sake, amen.